0: Now, I'd like to begin today with a big question, and that is, what do you think the biggest problems of this world are? Well, there are all sorts of lists around claiming that these are the biggest problems of the world, and one particular list has these: firstly, overpopulation. Overpopulation. We we consume more than we can produce. Apparently uh, China purchased 5% of the land in Ukraine because they, they don't have enough land to produce, enough for them to consume. Another big problem of the world is the extin- extinction of animals, of species. The Sumatran tiger, that's an endangered species, only about 100 in the wild, 500 in reserves. But what about this problem? We're running out of oil and gas. Eventually, it will all be used up. You think about it, and I'm thinking, what will I do with my Toyota Corolla once petrol runs out? Or what about this? Education, world education. Not everyone has access to education. That's a big problem. Or a meteorite impact. Some fear, something happening like in the movie Deep Impact. Or Armageddon. Some people worry worry about that. What about this? The global economic collapse that economies all around the world will just collapse. Well climate change as you know, always big in, in the media, uh, but we do experience, you know, summer appears to be getting warmer in Melbourne. Terrorism. Weapons of mass destruction. You know, the things that some nations have and possess and Syria, for example, whatever they hold in their possessions is worrying. And of course the other big one is poverty. Not everyone has clean water, not everyone has enough food. And so you look at this list, you look at all those pictures and the big problems of the world, they they appear so overwhelming. It's almost crippling just to look at them. What can we do? What can you do? What can we do as individuals? I mean, we can try to do our part, can't we? I might try to drive less road to church today, drive less, use less petrol so that there will be more petrol for others. Or I I might, you know, that population idea, I'll stop having kids, guys, so don't worry about a fourth twin coming along, we're stopped, I'm going to support that problem, okay? No more kids. Or maybe recycling. Or maybe do the responsible thing like sponsor a child, helping those in need. But But then again, if you think about it, these big, massive world problems, I'm just one person. What can I do? The problem is just too big. In fact, the Prime Minister of England, David Cameron, he offered, in this article, he offered one million pounds to anyone who can solve the biggest problem of the world. And your task is to firstly work out what that biggest problem is and then solve it. Now, now, this might sound a bit cheeky, but I actually think I know what the biggest problem of this world is. And it's in fact none of these. None of them at all. Now, that, that's not to deny that those are big problems. They are massive problems. And we as citizens of this world have a responsibility to do what we can to protect this world, to care for those in need. So, they are big problems. But, but what I think the biggest problem of the world is, not these I don't think I'll win the one million pounds for this answer anyway. But I think the biggest problem of this world is God. Is God. Now let me explain why. I'm not, I'm, I don't mean here that God is some big and unpredictable terrorist who will come. That's not what I mean. But what I mean by this is, if God is in fact true, if God is your creator, he owns you. He owns all of us, everyone who lives on this earth. And if that is true, then one day we'll all have to give account to this God. He's in a sense the big problem we'll all have to face one day. He's the biggest problem in this world. Him and his coming judgment. So that's what I think. That's the biggest problem we all face. He has the right to judge us and he has the power to judge us because we'll all have to face him one day. Now, this was, in fact, the message that Jonah spoke to the Ninevites about 2,700 years ago. He went to them and he said, you guys have a massive problem. It's not pollution. It's not how you've been torturing people. It's not that you don't, uh, you're not all educated. It's not that you, you know, use up your cam- all your camels so that you know, they all die. It's none of that. Your problem is God. God will be coming at you. And so let's have a look at this story. We've looked at the first two chapters, we're up to the third chapter. So, so far what we've seen is Jonah has been vomited out from the fish, from the giant fish, from the whale. He's been snatched from the clutches of death. And Jonah, in a sense, experienced his own resurrection. He's come back to life. And God, in a sense, has given him a second chance. And what we see now at the beginning of chapter 3 is pretty much a repeat of chapter 1. So I want you to look at chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. God commands him the same thing. Have a look. Verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Now, this time, Jonah obeys. He he didn't bother running away anymore. He knew. If God could send a storm, if God could send this massive whale to swallow him, there was no way to escape from God. And so this time, he obeys. And we're told in verse 3 have a look. Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Now, it literally reads here Nineveh was a great city to God. That is, in God's eyes, that city was important. And we're given here an indication of its size. It took three days to walk through it. So just to get that in our minds, how long would it take to walk across Melbourne, our great city? Think about that. Let's think about it. So over towards the west of Melbourne, we've got four days there anymore. (laughs) Towards the west of Melbourne, perhaps the fringe of Melbourne is uh, Melton, about 40 k's away. Towards the southeast uh, Pakenham, that's probably the other end of Melbourne, about 55 k's away, that's about 95 k's in length, in distance. Now, if an average person walk, walks about 5km per hour, um, I like to think that I'm fit, so maybe 6 for me, but some of you maybe 4, but 5 for an average person. That would take almost 20 hours, non-stop, no toilet breaks, no eating breaks, no sleeping breaks. And so almost 20 hours. But to really walk Melbourne properly, it will probably take a couple of days. So that's just to put into perspective how big Nineveh was. And so Jonah goes to Nineveh. And what was his message to them? He goes to Nineveh and he says, Peace to every one of you. God bless you all. Hope you all have a pleasant day here in Nineveh. Was that his message? Well, not at all. Look at verse 4. He says only five words in the Hebrew. It's more in the English but it's only five words in the Hebrew. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overturned. It's the same word here that's used for the overturning of Sodom and Gomorrah when God sent down fire from heaven to destroy that whole place. And so just imagine going into Nineveh as Jonah, proclaiming these words. Remember at this time Jonah's been uh, vomited out from the whale. He's looking very odd. White, bleached white from all that gastric juices. He's lost all his hair. He's looking pretty hideous. So he's walking into Nineveh and he's standing there and he's telling them, you guys are going to be overturned. Now he's thinking, this is not going to go good. (laughs) It's not going to go well. Uh, uh, For example, uh, Jeremiah the prophet, he spoke against his own people and what his own people did was they imprisoned him, they beat him and they threw him down a well. And so Jonah's coming into Nineveh and he's thinking, God, you're going to get me killed here. I look hideous and this is what you want me to say? Now just imagine what the Ninevites will be thinking hearing this Jonah proclaiming from the street corner. Now they're looking at this funny looking guy. Now he's white, without any hair, and he's strange. And is their proclaim will be overturned? R- remember, the Ninevites, they're serious. They were a ruthless bunch of people. So they'll probably be thinking, hey, let's go get him. And we'll kill him, we'll pull his arms apart, we'll gouge his eyes out. You see, the Ninevites, the Assyrians, they were known for their ruthlessness. They were known for their evilness. They they were known to literally pull arms and limbs off their enemies. They were known to display the skulls of their enemies on the roadside just to show how mean and nasty they were. But yet we see here in verse 4, Jonah did what he was commanded. He went to Nineveh and he said, you guys have a massive problem. It's not climate change. It's not education. You guys have God as your problem. God is against you. Your wickedness has come up to God and God is against you and he will come in judgement. Now, how do you expect the Ninevites to respond? Well, if they were as ruthless as they claim to be, and as we know from history, you expect them to kill him. But what did they do? Have a look at verse 5. To everyone's shock and surprise, the Ninevites believed God and they declared a fast and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. They believed in God. Those five words from Jonah was enough for them to trust God, to know that this is for real, this is serious, God is against us. And so they fasted and they wore sackcloth. Sackcloth's just cloth, really rough cloth made from goat, goat's hair. And, and it's often what you see people wear at funerals in some cultures because it's, it's a sign of remorse and humility. And for them it was a sign of repentance. But what we also see here was it was not just the citizens of Nineveh who responded, their king responded too. Look at verse 6 the king, the rule of the land, he took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. See, maybe this king of Nineveh, maybe this king heard about what this God of Israel did to Sodom and Gomorrah. Maybe this God heard what this God did to the Egyptians. And so he responded with remorse and repentance. And so now he issues a decree, 7 and 8, 7 to 9 in fact, by decree Of the king and his nobles, do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. So just imagine that scene. Throughout Nineveh, you will see cows wearing goat's hair. You see sheep wearing goat's hair. You see donkeys wearing goat's hair. So it's a funny scene, but but he goes on to say, Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. And this king, in the hope of hopes, he says here, who knows? God may relent from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. This king recognised that this is for real. God is against us and this is a big problem. We are dead if we don't do anything about this. Now they've responded that way. Now what did God do? Well, God's message was of judgement. 40 days and you will be overturned. You'll be destroyed in 40 days. Did God go through with that? Well, look at the final verse, verse 10. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and he did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. So just as the Ninevites, they turned from their evil ways, they repented, God God turned from his destruction and he relented. But you've got to ask, why would God not go through with his judgment? They certainly deserved it. They were ruthless and evil. They deserved the judgment of God. But why did God not go through like what he did with Sodom and Gomorrah? Well, you see, this is where we learn something about the character of God. You see, for God to, to tell of judgment was God for God to extend mercy. You see, God works differently to those ancient gods the many ancient gods, they were angry and capricious. So, so, if you worshipped these gods, if you didn't offer your sacrifice, if you were not good to these gods, these gods would just strike you down. But that's not the God of the Bible. The God of Jonah, the God that we believe, is different to that. The God we believe is one who takes no pleasure in the destruction of the wicked. We look here in Ezekiel 33 verse 11. And we read this, As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. And that's why God sent Jonah in the first place. You know, to, to preach, to proclaim judgment, 40 days and you'll be overturned, was for God to extend mercy, was for God to want them to turn so that they can be saved. It's just a bit like how I go about disciplining my three kids. They're not perfect kids, they do make mistakes and I'll have to discipline them once in a while. But I'll always give them a warning. I'll warn them. I'll say them, if you continue to disobey, you will be punished. And so I count to three. One, two, and is always very long and drawn out. And if it gets to three, smack down. Whatever that means. <laughs> but when I do get to two, I am serious. I will punish you if you disobey, if you don't stop what you're doing. And I look at them with my fierce looking eyes into their eyes to scare them. You are still at two, you still have time. Why is that? Well, because I want them to turn. I want to extend mercy. I do not want to punish them. And so for God to warn the Ninevites to proclaim judgment is coming was for God to extend mercy to them. So God was in a sense saying, Nineveh, one, two, 40 days. <laughs> respond, repent or you'll die. If, it, if they don't, then three and it's smack down. So that's the story. They did respond, God did relent. Now what are we to make of this story? Well, Nineveh today is no longer around. Jonah is no longer around today. But you see, something still remains the same and that is the message of Jonah. The message of Jonah has not really changed. The biggest problem for the Ninevites has in fact become the biggest problem of this whole world and that is God and his coming judgement. You see, Nineveh faced God and his coming judgement in 40 days And this whole world today will face God one day. They are big problems, education and poverty and running out of oil and gas. They are big problems. But they are not the biggest problem because one day all of us, every living soul will stand in the presence of God and he will stand in judgement over us. But now some of us, I suspect, might be thinking this. Wasn't that just the God of the Old Testament? I mean, the God of the Old Testament was angry, always judging. The God of the Old Testament was the one who sent floods. The God of the Old Testament was the one who fought in wars and battles. The God in the Old Testament was the one who sent plagues. But now we've got the God of the New Testament, the God of love and forgiveness. Jesus, he welcomed in the outcasts. He healed the sick and the lame. He cared for those who were not cared for. You know, there's the angry God of the Old Testament That's no longer the God we proclaim, but we proclaim the God of the New Testament, the God of love and forgiveness and of care. Now, I wonder if some of us are thinking that. If that is what we're thinking, that is wrong. It's in fact a dangerous lie. You see, the God of the Old Testament is the same as the God of the New Testament. The God who judges in the Old Testament is the same who judges in the New Testament and the God who saves in the Old Testament is the same God who saves in the New Testament. You see, the God who judges in the Old Testament will also judge in the New Testament but what we see in the New Testament is the judgment hasn't gone smaller or less. It's actually worse than what it was in the Old Testament. You see, Nineveh, their judgment was that they will die in 40 days What's the judgment of God in the New Testament? Well, there's this place that most often we hear from the lips of Jesus Himself. This place called hell. A place of eternal, eternal torment. A place of separation from God. That's far worse than just dying, like the Ninevites. You see, and also the, the God who saves in the Old Testament is the God who also saves in the New Testament, but the salvation we see in the New Testament is far greater far more gracious. You see, for Nineveh, their salvation was that they were allowed to continue to live. The salvation we see now in the New Testament is far greater than that. There's a place called heaven where we are welcomed into the kingdom of God, where we are made his very own children, enjoying the inheritance of Christ. Same God, same God doing judgment and salvation in old and the same God doing salvation and judgment in the new. If anything, The judgement and salvation in the Old Testament is ratcheted up in the New Testament. It's intensified, it's amplified and it's made more clearer for us. And so when we actually understand that, it's not a different God, same God acting. When we come to understand that it's not the Old Testament God versus the New Testament God, then we can come to understand why Jesus responded the way he did when he came to earth. He said, when the Pharisees and the teachers of the law in our first reading... When they came to Jesus, they wouldn't recognise who Jesus was. They demanded from Jesus a sign. Show us a sign that you are real. Where are your powers from? Show us. And what did Jesus say? In Matthew 12, Jesus says this, The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgement with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now one greater than Jonah is here. You see, with the coming of Jesus is the coming of the messenger who is greater than Jonah. It's the coming of the prophet who is greater than Jonah. It's in fact the coming of God himself in the flesh. And he comes with a message that is greater than Jonah's as well. A message of judgement that is greater than what Jonah proclaimed. A message of salvation that is greater than what Jonah proclaimed. You see, the order that the Ninevites heard was 40 days and you will be overturned. Five Hebrew words. And that was enough for them. They repented, they responded. But now Jesus has come in the new, and he declares, The kingdom of heaven is near. Repent and believe the good news. And if you do, you're welcome into the rich glory of God, into heaven itself, and you'll belong to God as his own. The message of Jesus is far greater than Jonah's, just as Jesus himself is far greater than Jonah. One greater than Jonah has come, bearing a greater message than what Jonah proclaimed to Nineveh. So what does that mean for us, living on this side of Christ? Well, what that means for us is that everyone living today, you and me and this whole world, are more culpable than Nineveh was. You see, turning away from this message is not just turning away from a prophet, It's in fact turn away from God himself. So knowing this, what do you think this should mean for us who claim to be a Christian? What should it mean if we have now a greater messenger and a greater message? Well, what it means is at least two things, but I'll say two. There's a greater urgency, firstly, and we have a greater responsibility So firstly, there is a greater urgency because we don't actually know when God's judgement will come. The world will keep on going, the world will think the earth will continue to spin, everyone will go on with their own business and things will go the same, nothing will change. But there's a day of judgement where God will come and the world, not just Nineveh, but the world will be overturned. You see, Nineveh, in fact, were in a better position than us, if you think about it. They knew That judgment was coming in 40 days. They had 40 days to respond. We don't actually have that luxury today. And that's why there is this greater urgency to get the message out. There is a greater urgency. We don't know when Christ will return. It could be in 40 days. It could be in 1,000 days. It could be in 10,000 days. It could even be tonight. Now, I was reflecting on this today and I'm, I'm thinking, I'm actually hoping that Christ will return as soon as possible while my kids are still young, while they're still Christians, while they are not yet influenced in a big and bad way by this world. I want Christ to come before Esther knows about boys and boyfriends. (laughs) But of course, Christ has not yet returned. We don't know when he will return, but he is patient with us. In 2 Peter we read, He's not wanting anyone to perish, but for everyone to come to repentance. One greater than Jonah is here. With a greater message than Jonah. And so there is this greater urgency now for us today. And secondly, there's also a greater responsibility. You see, not only is the judgment of God far worse now than what Nineveh would have experienced, but but think about the confidence that the Ninevites had in God relenting. relenting. You you see, they only hoped that God would turn, that God would forgive, that God would relent. The king said, who knows, maybe God will relent. Then he had hope. But how is it different for us now with the greater Jonah and the greater message? Well, we actually know today with full certainty we can have that knowledge today, complete confidence that God will indeed relent. God will forgive, we know for sure because God has poured his judgement on his very own son, Jesus Christ. And that was for our sake. We now know with complete certainty that God will relent. Nineveh, the only hope, who knows, maybe God will. We know for sure. And because we know for sure that we who believe will not face God's judgement, we have a greater responsibility. Greater responsibility. One greater than Jonah Isiah, there's a greater urgency, and there's also a greater responsibility. And so, if this is the case, what are we to do? If we feel and and uh, have a sense of this urgency, if we feel the weight of our responsibility, what are we to do? Well, what did Jonah do? How did the revival in Nineveh happen? Did Jonah go into Nineveh through the streets and was he singing on the street corner some worship song, come and sing with me? Was that how the revival happened? Did Jonah go through the streets of Nineveh doing a prayer walk through the streets? Was that how the revival happened? Did Jonah go through the streets, stand on the corner and did some, do some interpretive dancing? Maybe that will change the nation. Well, did Jonah just go to Nineveh, settle down and live as a good Israelite? Was that how revival happened in Nineveh? Of course not. What does verse uh, uh, verse 4 tell us? Just five Hebrew words. Forty days and Nineveh will be overturned. Didn't dance, didn't sing, in a sense didn't even pray. He proclaimed... He declared, he preached the word of God. It is the word of God that saves and it's the word of God that is necessary to save this dying world. Often I think about this and it just amazes me. These are just words. You know, words. He's probably had some accent as well. Just words. So weak, so pathetic, but yet these words are the words of God to save. Now, Timothy Keller, great pastor, Presbyterian pastor, by the way, he says this, not only does the Bible say over and over that the gospel is spread by preaching, but common sense also shows us that loving deeds, as important as they are as an accompaniment of preaching, do not bring people to a saving knowledge of Jesus. You see, what he's saying is, even if I was an awesome person, an awesome Christian friend to have around, the one that you always want to have around, if I'm that perfect person almost, but I fail to proclaim with my lips the gospel of Jesus, then there can be no salvation for those around me. Jonah saved that city by speaking five words. I'm sure we can speak more than that. And that is why our church, our Presbyterian church, is committed to the word of God. We read the Bible, we teach the Bible, we study the Bible throughout the week because the focus of God in revealing himself to us and his ways is through his word. That's how we come to know him and his ways. This is our commitment. And for my own family, this is why for us, the bulk of the money that we give away is for word ministry, ministries that proclaim the gospel of Jesus. You see, we support the poor because that's a loving thing to do. That's a compassionate thing to do. But we don't want to just feel stomachs. We want souls to be changed for all eternity. And so the bulk of our money goes to word ministry to support ministers who proclaim the gospel. The power to save this world amidst all its problems. The power to save this world rests in the power of God's word. The power to save this world rests in the power of God's words. And so finally, as we consider all these problems again, you look at it and it's overwhelming. It's almost as depressing, crippling. What can I do? What can I do? I'm not a politician. I'm not a world leader. I don't have a seat on the UN Council. What can I do with all these problems? Well, I'll try to do my little bit. But I reckon there's a bigger problem than all of this and that is God and his coming judgment. But the thing is, with that bigger problem, I reckon we all have something we can do. We all have something we can do because God, in fact, has provided a solution to our big problem. You see, the solution comes in the message of the one who came who is greater than Jonah. The solution comes in the message about the one who is greater than Jonah. The solution comes in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He solves this problem for us because he bore our penalty, the punishment that we deserve upon himself. And if that is the solution to our biggest world problem, if that is the solution, then how can we help this world? Not dancing, not singing. We help this world By proclaiming, primarily and supremely proclaiming, declaring, preaching the word of God. Preaching the power of God's word, as weak as that sounds. That is the power of God to save. Now if you think about that, we might not be able to do much with all these problems. But with this biggest problem, you all have something in your possession that you can do. And that is the power of God's word. And so declare it boldly, proclaim it fearlessly and preach it always. Let me pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you reveal your character to us in this story, that you are a God who takes no pleasure in the destruction of the wicked, but you desire the repentance of sinners. And we thank you for your mercy to us that you have not yet come because you want to see more to repent and to come to faith. And so help us to have a sense of the urgency and the responsibility that we bear, that we in fact have the solution to proclaim and to declare and to preach to this world the gospel of Christ, the words to save. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.